Uh, as Steve mentioned this morning, uh, during the whole month of January, we're calling one another as a church body, as a church family, to a month of prayer and awareness for these huge issues of mercy and justice. Um, last week, we talked about racial reconciliation. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about human trafficking. And so to do that, I'm going to invite Susanna Bean to come up and, and join uh, me up here. Um, Susanna will be a familiar face to many of you. Uh, she is, uh, has been here at Liberty Church for a little over a couple years. And uh, if you're newer with us, you will recognize her as the immensely talented violin player from our worship team. That's Susanna. Um, Susanna is the Harrisburg site coordinator for Morningstar Choices, which is a great organization uh, here in this region that helps um, moms who are facing unexpected uh, or unwanted pregnancy. That's actually an issue that we'll talk about next week, not this week. But in addition to working there, um, Susanna has been passionate for a long time about the issue of human trafficking, combating human trafficking, has worked with both local and national and international organizations on that front. And she's going to help us uh, understand a little bit more about the issue today. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. I've been really um, excited by the focus here um, at Liberty this month. Um, These issues of um, social justice, mercy, um, are really central to my calling in life, and so I'm passionate about um, prompting conversations, raising awareness, um, and hopefully encouraging some of you to consider that this might also be a life calling for you. Um, So I am going to be talking some about human trafficking today. I want to give a disclaimer to this in that this is a huge and massive issue. I was watching the documentary Nefarious last evening, and it just reminded me again as I watched that again that this is just really huge. So I'm going to be um, dipping into this just a little bit today, um, and I hope this will uh, encourage you to learn more and to educate yourself. So what is human trafficking? It encompasses two different areas. One is labor trafficking. The other is sex trafficking. Um, One way to think about this also is that uh, trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability. Um, So be that the exploitation of the vulnerability of poverty, of the vulnerability of low self-esteem, of a need for um, money, anything like that. It's the exploitation of vulnerability is really what's at the heart um, of trafficking. Uh, This is a global issue. Um, Estimates say that there are about 12 to 20 million uh, slaves worldwide. Many estimates are as high as 27 million. Uh, So clearly this is um, a large issue. It is also the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. Um, This is an issue globally, but what we also don't realize is that this is an issue for us uh, locally. Um, In the United States, in Pennsylvania, and in central Pennsylvania specifically, it really is happening in our own backyards. Um, I did a quick Google search um, for news related to trafficking here in Pennsylvania um, and pretty quickly found uh, two convictions of sex trafficking that took place just in December 2014 um, from men in Pennsylvania, uh, one in Chester, one in Philadelphia. I think the email that went out this week said there was also a recent conviction of someone in Lemoyne. So this really is happening here. Um, But it's also a hidden issue. Um, A lot of us wouldn't say we've ever seen this occurring. Um, And that's because, obviously, it is a criminal industry. They are trying to hide it. Um, But also, there's a lack of education. Um, And so I realized, back in college, as I was learning a lot more about trafficking, um, realized that one of the places that it hides uh, around us is through the guise of reputable businesses. Um, 
Often that may happen through someplace like a massage parlor, which appears on its front to be um, a reputable business when, in fact, um, it's a front for trafficking taking place inside. Um, When I began to be educated about that, um, I started to realize that there were four such suspicious places that I was driving past um, on a daily basis. Um, I didn't know for sure that um, these are places where trafficking is taking place, but I began to see some of the signs that would um, lead to wanting to report those. So um, the really big key is to educate ourselves because uh, especially as a service provider in human services or doctors um, or in other service locations, um, these victims of trafficking are passing through our doors um, and we may just not be seeing them because we don't know. Uh, So I hope that today we'll learn a little bit more. you can see this is a really huge issue, um, and the numbers are staggering. So it causes us to ask a couple questions. Um, one, who are the victims and where are they coming from? Um, two, why is this happening? Um, what's really at the root of it? And three, um, you know, what's being done? Um, who are the victims? I'm going to talk specifically more for the United States um, in this. There are really different factors depending on which area of the world you're looking at um, that lead to a person being trafficked. Really one of the underlying vulnerabilities um, is previous um, child abuse or sexual abuse that has taken place within an individual's life. Um, 90% of those in trafficking have come through foster care. Um, And that means that they experienced some kind of abuse in their childhood, and they became wards of state, um, and they became extremely vulnerable to trafficking. Um, It's estimated that there are 300,000 children at risk of being trafficked within the U.S. And the average age of entry uh, into prostitution for women um, is 12 to 14, some as young as 10. So whether or not um, an individual enters trafficking as a minor or as an adult, um, one of those root causes is early on um, abuse. And I think that really does show a way that we can enter in. Um, and I love other families in our church who have um, been stepping into foster care and providing stability um, to these children. Second question, why is this happening? Um, The reality is that demand is driving this market. Um, Without demand for the services, there wouldn't be victims of trafficking. Um, So demand is the problem, but I find too often we deal with demand um, in an us-them sort of way. as a problem um, that's out there and not really associated with ourselves. But as I watched the film Nefarious last evening, um, it really highlighted again to me these are huge systemic issues. Um, They're not just individual Um, sinfulness and brokenness. It's the brokenness of systems. It's the brokenness of governments, the brokenness of nations. Um, And I believe at the heart of that brokenness, obviously, is a distortion of sexuality, which is a distortion of what it means to be male and female as God created us. And we have the opportunity as a body of Christ who knows um, and can explore the design that God has created for us as men and women to provide hope and redemption um, to the world at large as we consider these core root issues um, of what it means to be male and female and how that plays out. Um, So that's one of the really core root issues um, that that gets played out in a lot of different areas, um, one of those being uh, trafficking. And so third, you know, what is being done? 
Um, here in Pennsylvania, um, you've heard a lot about Peace Promise, and that is an organization that is working in uh, both awareness, in outreach to women, and they're right now really raising money um, to build a drop-in center. Um, and why a drop-in center? They've, they've found a gap between um, helping individuals who are stuck in trafficking um, in their current lifestyle and then in the, the provision of a safe house, that making that jump because of uh, a lot of reasons, trauma bonding and the abuse that's taking place, leaving the situations that they're in is not always clear-cut, and it's, they don't always make that jump all the way over to a safe house. And so there was sort of this missing link, um, which is a sort of a drop-in center model. And so Peace Promise did some research on that, decided to move to build one of these centers so that they can offer resources um, to help them draw them into relationships and hopefully draw them towards a place where they are desiring um, healing and uh, the services that a, a model of a safe house could provide. So that's um, part of what's being done here. Um, and how can you engage with this? There are a lot of ways to engage. Um, there's a lot being done in public policy, both at the state level and the federal level. There's a lot of awareness being done. There's obviously the angle of prevention. There's the issue of addressing demand. There's outreach uh, to women, and then there's restoration. All of these areas, um, we need your help and your assistance. Um, so for those of you who are interested in addressing any one of these areas or you just want to learn more, um, I'd encourage you to talk to myself, um, to Cynthia Vanderark, and to Gretchen Carvella. I think she's in childcare today. Um, we can direct you more to the specific resources that can help. Um, just this past weekend, there was two, three showings of Nefarious. Um, and if you've missed that, I know we own, several of us in the church do own that documentary. It's a really great place to begin. So I'd encourage you to begin there just to educate yourself um, and then consider from there what God might be calling you to do. Uh, there is one thing I'll mention last here that you can do today, and that is to go out to lunch. It's pretty easy. Um, there are three flyers out at the welcome table. And Chipotle, Haas's Family Steak and Sea House, and Isaac's have all agreed to give proceeds of lunch that's um, bought just today by those who bring in this flyer. So if you're going out to lunch, you do need to pick up one of these flyers. And pay attention, a couple of these are specific locations and specific hours. So just take a close look at the flyers. Um, this is a great way to uh, do something simple and fun, to fellowship um, with your brothers and sisters, and uh, to at the same time be supporting Peace Promise. As you'd mentioned, Suzanne, it's a huge topic. really would encourage you to, to find a place to hook in, to learn more, uh, to take action. We did on, um, at least with Isaacs, the hours I think listed on here were like this evening or one said Thursday. Mm. We called the Lemoyne and the Ross Moyne locations. If you take the flyer there for lunch today, they'll honor it. Um, just, just insist that they honor it because we, we, we cleared that up with them. It can be a little bit, um, it's the right word, a gospel-centered edginess to your... <laughs> To your, uh, to your insistence that they receive that. But um, would you pray? Would you pray for us before we, uh, before we transition to sermon? Thanks. Father, we come to you with something that is huge. 
to an evil that is great and strong and as people who are weak and limited. We ask, Father, that you would move, that you would raise up uh, leaders who are passionate about addressing the issue of trafficking. We pray, Father, for those who are stuck um, in trafficking now, Father. We ask that you would bend near to them, that you would offer them your mercy and your presence, Father. We pray for their release and their freedom and their restoration. We pray, Father, um, for the issue of demand. We pray, Father, for your mercy in this area, Father, that you would um, set men and women free from creating the demand uh, for this industry. We pray that your reconciliation, your redemption, your design would come to bear for men and for women so that we could see an end to trafficking. Father, we pray that you would lead us as a church body to be moved in compassion, to be attentive to the sufferings of your people, that we would see it, that we would pray about it, and that we would be moved to action, Father. But most of all, we need you. And we ask that you would come and that you would do miraculous things and that you would break the power of evil in this area. Father, would your kingdom come to earth? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you have uh, Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. Uh, John chapter 4, if you use one of those black hardcover Bibles under your chair, uh, it's page 888 uh, is where we'll be. Um, as, as we address these huge topics of mercy and justice issues this month, we have to see that all of them are image of God issues. They're all image of God issues. So of all that God created... Only humanity, only men and women are those that bear the image of the creator, the image of God. And that's, that's the root of these things going horribly wrong. At the root of racial brokenness, um, the root of human trafficking, is a failure to see men and women as image bearers of God. It's a failure to perceive the worth and the value that people are inherently due because that's true. But as we think about this, I would encourage you also not to just think about this, as Susanna mentioned too, as an out there kind of issue, just as an issue in other people's lives. But we can easily fail to, to miss the worth and the dignity that that confers on us as, as image bearers, as men and women who bear the image of God. Like, do we actually believe that God made you as a beautiful reflection of his own majesty, of his own glory of his own greatness. Do you actually believe that about you? Not, not just in the abstract, not just humanity in general, but you specifically. Because really, regardless of what you believe about God or about Jesus or about anything this morning, that's what, that's what God says is true about you. That just because you are human, part of what it is to be human is that you have worth and value because you bear the image of, of creator. And likewise, just like it is true for us as individuals, that's what's true about every single human being that's ever lived. And that's why we can talk about these issues uh, with hopefulness, 
that transformation can happen. Uh, it's why we can talk about these issues uh, and seek to, to do something about them. Because it's, it's God who has given this identity to not only us as individuals, but to, to everyone. So we, uh, we are in uh, the Gospel of John. We're continuing through this series this winter and spring. Uh, and as we uh, are, are going through the Gospel of John and also talking about these issues, we decided rather than to do like a topical sermon series about these issues, we would just press on through the Gospel of John. And a, and a big reason that we did that is because in John's Gospel, and particularly in places like today's text, you're going to see the connections, hopefully, and the applications for us as we become those who work to combat these issues of injustice. You're going to see today, in today's text, Jesus is on a mission to restore the image of God in people where it has been broken and corrupted by our sin. He's on a mission to do that. And to do that means that he goes as light into the darkness across all kinds of boundaries, across all kinds of lines, And he offers himself, he calls all kinds of people to find satisfaction only in him. So that's what we're going to see in John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 through 42. So it's a good chunk of of scripture. So you can settle in uh, and follow along with me as I read from John 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea, And departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 
And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the boundary-breaking work that you entered into the world to do. You entered into the mess and the darkness. And into the mess and the darkness, you also broke across racial and religious and gender and other kinds of dividing walls. And we pray, God, that we would, as we see your work and we see you offer um, satisfaction in yourself and nothing else, that we would find our satisfaction in you. Would you break up the hardness of our hearts this morning? Would you help us to perceive your worth, and to find our satisfaction in you. Let me pray that in your name. Amen. So really quickly, um, let's just set up the scene uh, that's happening here in in this text. Um, Jesus is leaving Judea. Uh, Judea is the region right around the city of Jerusalem. And he's heading to Galilee, which is straight north. So he's he's in Judea, he's heading north. In between there is a place called Samaria. And so as verse 4 says, he had to pass through Samaria. Except that he didn't. Except that he didn't have to pass through Samaria because Jewish people never pass through Samaria. Even though going through Samaria was the most direct and quickest route from Judea to Galilee in the north, Jewish people, they would go east to the River Jordan, they would go up the banks of the river, and then they would go back west into Galilee so that they could skirt and go around Samaria. Why the longer and roundabout route? Because Jewish people and Samaritan people despised each other. It's not too strong of a word. They despised each other. It was a racial and a religious wall of hostility between the two of them. And the history of that dated back more than 700 years to the divided kingdom of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Um, When the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians, the Assyrians, from their empire that spanned a lot of the world, they brought people from all over that empire and they repopulated Uh, the the northern kingdom of Israel with people from all over the world. In doing that, they created this forced melting pot with the defeated Israelite people. And as all of those people then intermixed, it really created a new race of people. It also brought a new religion. And really what it was, it was a significantly compromised offshoot of 
the Jewish faith. So while still claiming to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Samaritans rejected most of the Old Testament. Uh, They also rejected Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem as the place where God was making his presence uh, dwell among his people. And instead, uh, the Samaritans, they erected a new temple on on a new mountain in their own land. Okay, So then fast forward from there through history, um, Alexander the Great saw the opportunity here and he leveraged this animosity and became allies with the Samaritans against the Jews. And then a couple hundred years later, the Jews had an opportunity and they burned down the Samaritan temple on top of their mountain. So all of that intensified and sustained this racially and religiously fueled hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And that was very much alive and well in the first century when Jesus is doing his his ministry. So when John says here, Jesus had to pass through Samaria, he's pointing in that to the reconciling and restorative and redemptive mission of Jesus. Jesus didn't have to pass through as a Jewish man. He had to pass through as the Savior of the world, as the one who would come to rescue and reconcile all people. So when this group of Samaritans at the end of this this text, they proclaim Jesus as the Savior of the world, it's impossible to overstate the significance of what Jesus has just accomplished in in this scene. He's broken down a centuries-old dividing wall of hostility, and he's called all people to satisfaction in himself. So here's the main point of all of There's so much in John 4. Here's the main point of John 4. Across all lines, the greatest and the only lasting satisfaction is found in Jesus and in doing the work of God. Across all lines, the greatest and the only lasting satisfaction is found in Jesus and in doing the work of God. Of God. It's better than sin. It's better than tradition. It's better than whatever tribe you come from. It's better than anything, even the basic necessities of life. So briefly, we'll, we'll break this down into three parts. We're going to talk about satisfaction in living water, satisfaction in true worship, and then satisfaction in doing the work of God. First, satisfaction in living water. Uh, the, the first discussion that, that emerges here is about water. Jesus asks the Samaritan woman for water, but then in the course of the conversation, he ends up not asking for, but offering a different, better kind of, of water. All of us will, will be aware in the room, uh, water is essential for life. We need it. It's essential for our lives. But for it to sustain life, we need to keep replenishing it. Um, Something in the neighborhood of about two liters a day is what a human being needs uh, of either water or some other kind of fluid to sustain life. And Jesus uses that that routine, mundane, universal reality, and he drills down into it to find a deeper meaning. Which is that in our pursuit for life, in our pursuit for, for joy, for significance, for satisfaction we often look to a cheap substitute that has to be replenished time and time again. We keep getting thirsty in this pursuit, so we keep having to come back for more and more of whatever it is. So here's a question for you this morning. What is that for you? What is that for you in your life? What is it that you look to for satisfaction? Is it approval? Is it money? financial stability? Is it power? Is it fulfillment of some kind of sexual desire? 
That one is directly related to to what we see in this text, and it's also related to this huge issue of human trafficking. Um, The woman at the well has has had five husbands in the past, and she's currently living with a sixth man. And we'll talk more about that in, in just a second. But she's looking to sex and companionship and something, something of the overlap of the two uh, for her satisfaction. Now, in our day, as Susanna really insightfully pointed out just a few minutes ago, human trafficking exists because there's a demand for it. it there's a demand that drives it, which means that for, for the huge numbers of people that are involved in it, upwards of 12 to 20 to 27 million, it means there are that many more million people involved in creating the demand for that. Uh, Internet pornography is pervasive in our culture. It's it's at epidemic levels in our culture. Uh, Our men talked about this in depth at our men's retreat back in in November. But it's not just a a male issue. Uh, The statistics show also that pornography use is is an epidemic among women as well. It's, It's been increasing at rapid exponential rates. And sexual brokenness, um, sexual sin, is not just about sexual activity or what you look at on TV or on your computer. It's also about sexual fantasy, what you do in your mind and your heart. See, we have to, this is hard, and we don't want to do this, but we have to connect the dots where we might not want to. We want to call human trafficking evil, but then say that pornography really isn't that big of a deal. Uh, Or we want to call human trafficking evil and a systemic injustice, but then be completely okay when, and I'm just going to use this as a specific example, so take this for what it is, when a book like Fifty Shades of Grey ends up at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Those things are connected. And the common connection is that they're all evidences of sexual brokenness. We live in a sexually broken society, and as also Susanna insightfully pointed out, That brokenness is not just out there. It begins right here in our own human hearts as we look to things for satisfaction that can't possibly satisfy. Uh, Before I forget, a related note on this. Uh, Our friends at West Shore E Free Church on January 31st, they are hosting um, a special event for women, all about women and sexuality and how to combat sexual temptation in all of its various forms. It's a great speaker coming in for that. Uh, if you'd be interested in attending that with a group of women from Liberty, um, you can talk to your home meeting leader. You can talk to Rivers Parton. If you don't know any of those people, just email one of the people on the back of your bulletins, one of our staff. We'll be happy to, um, to get you the information about that. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. However you experience sexual brokenness, however you've tried to fix that yourself you quickly find out that any satisfaction derived from sexual activity or sexual fantasy, uh, it only makes you thirsty again. It only makes you thirsty again. Maybe that's five seconds later. Maybe it's five years later. Maybe there's a long time. Maybe that satisfaction lasts for a long time. But it doesn't last. It enslaves you into an unending losing battle where you long for more or for different or for something you think is better, and it never comes. It never comes. But Jesus here, he offers a different and a better kind of water. He offers living water. Which when received, is, it's the source of eternal, everlasting life. He says the one who drinks it will never be thirsty again. And what he's talking about when he says that is clearly not like physical water, because we all drink two liters of water a day. He's talking about the kind of life and satisfaction that's offered only in God. 
Not the cheap imitation stuff found in things like sex and money and power and approval or whatever else it is. And Jesus is echoing in this invitation to this woman great and beautiful words from Isaiah 55. Where the prophet Isaiah says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, and hear that your soul may live. So Jesus is saying here, find your life, find your satisfaction in me. And he's holding out that offer across all kinds of lines and boundaries that would otherwise divide people. Because in addition to the racial and the religious lines that he's crossing here, the other big line that he's crossing is the gender line. There were these clearly defined social boundaries about men interacting with women in such a casual way and having theological discussion in the first century. Uh, Especially when it's a single Jewish man and a Samaritan woman with questionable reputation. So the disciples, they're, it says they marvel. It's kind of like they're shocked, like their jaw drops a little bit when they come back. They don't really, that, that's, that would be the response, not just from the disciples, but from, from every first century reader of John's Gospel. That's how they would respond to a scenario like this. But what that does is that makes Jesus' offer of living water and everlasting life that much more amazing. It makes it stand out that much more. He goes to the least likely the least likely, not just a Samaritan, as drastic as that would be, not just a Samaritan woman, as drastic as, as more drastic as that would be, but he goes to a Samaritan woman currently in a lifestyle of open and known sin. And he offers it to her. See, most people in this culture would come to draw water early in the morning or late in the evening to avoid the, the heat of the day. This woman comes at the sixth hour, which is noon. It says there in verse 6. She comes at noon, and even she's initially intrigued about Jesus' offer of living water. Why? It says in verse 15, so that I don't have to come here to draw water anymore. I don't want to come back here anymore. What's going on there? She's got shame. Shame. Her lifestyle and her current living situation, it's public knowledge. So she's going to avoid other people because of her shame. And see, over time... People accept the shame of their sin as their identity. People accept the shame of their sin as their identity. And they begin to live in it like it's just the inevitable path of their lives. Like there's no potential or no hope or no offer for anything different. And if you want to talk about a parallel between what this woman is experiencing and human trafficking, it's right here. One of the biggest misconceptions is that, that even people who say like they're willingly involved in things like exotic dancing or prostitution, things that are very much related to human trafficking, people are only willing participants in that if they've forgotten who they are. They're only willing if they've forgotten who they are. They've conceded that they're unworthy of being beautiful image bearers of God, of being people who are meant to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus, of people who are meant for more. that. And when you accept and you internalize a lie about your worth, is it really surprising then that you would act with questionable morality? Not at all. Not at all. So victims and offenders alike, this is an image of God issue. It's not just 
modern-day abolitionists seeing the image of God in other people and then combating human trafficking. It's victims and offenders getting to glimpse and grasp the image of God in themselves. In themselves. Because most of them can't fathom a world in which they actually experience the kind of dignity and worth that would lead them to do something different with their life. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't excuse sin. He doesn't excuse sin. He doesn't rationalize or explain away what is sinful about this woman's lifestyle. He calls her out about her lifestyle. But he does that while at the exact same moment holding out the offer of living water that actually satisfies. He offers her restoration of her identity as an image bearer of God. You are a religiously corrupted Samaritan woman currently marginalized in the shame of sexual sin, but that is not the inevitable trajectory of your life. I have to pass through Samaria across all these dividing lines because there is so much more for you. So stop seeking satisfaction in the cheap substitute and find it in me instead. Okay, that's the same exact offer, not just for this woman. That's the same offer that is held out to you and to me and to all. Don't seek satisfaction in the cheap substitute just to become thirsty again. Put down the futility, the emptiness of going from sexual encounter to sexual encounter, job to job, drug to drug, hobby to hobby, and instead find lasting and genuine satisfaction in the living water from Jesus. We're going to have to fly through the second two points of this this morning, but let's do it. The second part of this encounter, it's all about satisfaction in true worship. True worship. Uh, Before this woman receives Jesus as living water, she tries a deflection. The old look over there trick. Hmm, Sexual sin and empty pursuits. How about we talk about that mountain over there? She tries that. Jesus doesn't let her get, get away with it. She tries to hide behind a surface level theological discussion and dodge the core issue. Now we know nothing about that. We've never tried to hide behind theological distinctions and differences, but this woman did. So, I'm joking, of course. Uh, But in the deflection here, Jesus has an opportunity to further explain the work that he's come to do. Another wall that Jesus tears down in his life and ministry is that true worship of God is no longer confined to a specific place or a specific people. And again here, there's a rebuke and an offer held out together. A rebuke and an offer together. Jesus here, he definitively dismisses the Samaritan religion as wrong. That's the rebuke. So, so Jesus is not the guy organizing like the interfaith worship service. He's not the guy with the coexist sticker on his donkey. Oh, there's a clap for that. Yeah. Wow. If you have one of those, don't, don't feel condemned in that. We should coexist and live together. We shouldn't all consider that we're all the same thing because we're not all the same thing. So how about that? Jesus says here, Samaritans are wrong. Uh, They worship what they do not know. Salvation is from the Jews. In other words, God is working through this particular group of people leading up to the incarnation of Jesus as a Jewish man. But there's the offer held out with the rebuke. The hour is coming and is now here where true worship is not limited to a particular place or people group. God the Father is seeking those who are far off, be it far off geographically, be it far off from your race, or whatever other identifier would separate you or divide you. He's seeking those far off, inviting them near to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
So instead of a place, we worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, what what he's saying there, God's own spirit is going to enable this worship. And it's going to be centered on Jesus, who is soon in John's gospel going to describe himself as the truth, truth embodied. Jesus is the fullest and the truest revelation of God. So true worship comes when we see Jesus for who he is, believe in him for who he is, as the source of all satisfaction. Okay? There's way more to say than we have time for. Here's the main takeaway I would invite you to see from this. Because there is no one place for true worship, we can pursue a sense of place right here. Because there is no one place for true worship, we can pursue a sense of place here. We need not go elsewhere to be true worshipers of God. And we need not send other people elsewhere for them to be true worshipers of God. This is exactly why we can say things and pursue things like living, speaking, and serving as the very presence of Jesus for our own neighborhoods and our own city and our own region. These issues that we talk about this month... Uh, are not, as Susanna pointed out, they're not these just out there global issues that happen miles and miles away. They're in our own backyard. There was a man from Lemoyne who was arrested in December for trafficking two women from Maryland. That happens. Lemoyne is our backyard. That's a couple miles down the street from here. So it's not just people out there who need to drink living water from Jesus. It's the people that you walk past and drive past and live next to every single day. And because true worship isn't confined to one place, every place is significant. It's all significant. Harrisburg, contrary to popular opinion, is significant. The street that you live on is significant because those very places are places where the true worship of God can happen, where true worshipers can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So let's be true worshipers here in this place where God has put us. Let's invite other people to be true worshipers right in this very place where God's put us. And then the last thing to see in this text is the satisfaction that comes in doing the work of God. The satisfaction that comes in doing the work of God. So, so far we've seen the satisfaction that comes in Jesus. He's the source of it. We find satisfaction in him. We pursue true worship in him. But in the last piece of this conversation, which starts in verse 31, we see, that Jesus, we see Jesus' own satisfaction. He himself derives satisfaction in doing the work that God has sent him to do. It's more important to him than even basic necessities of life like food. He's sustained by it. He's satisfied by it, by accomplishing the work that God has sent him into the world to do. Okay, what is that work? It's the work of restoring the image of God in men and women where it has been so marred and fractured and corrupted by sin. It's the work of offering living water across all kinds of lines that would otherwise divide. It's the work of opening up the true worship of God, not just in one particular place, but in all places. And as he often does here, Jesus uses harvest imagery. He uses the picture of a harvest to teach his disciples, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I am preparing and then I am gathering men and women to myself. Now, I don't know what baggage imagery like that has for you, harvest imagery, when it comes to religion or Christianity in particular. I don't know what baggage um, words like evangelism or mission carry for you, but this is what evangelism and mission is all about. It's inviting people who, just like us, were once far off 
to cast off the sin that can't satisfy, to throw away the empty tradition, to stop accepting a lie about who we are and who we were meant to be, and to trade all that is worthless in our lives for all that is better through faith in Jesus. And once we've found our own satisfaction in Jesus, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing God use you to invite others into the very same thing. So think about the the radical transformation that this woman undergoes in a mere 48 hours. And for most people, it's not a mere 48 hours, but for this woman, it is. Shame-ridden, distant from God, looking for satisfaction in sex and companionship and whatever else. She comes and she sees Jesus. And Jesus offers her living water. And then it says in verse 39, many Samaritans encountered Jesus through her and this really simple eight-word testimony. He told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. Like she did just, just so few hours before this, they come to believe in Jesus as the Savior of the world. And so here's the beautiful thing in this. This work that God sent Jesus to do, And this work that then Jesus commissions his people, the church, to continue doing. It's always about walking into the work God is already doing. It's it's about walking into the, the places that God is already working. And God is already doing this kind of work. It's never about forging a frontier where God's not been at work. Because there is no such place. No such place exists. Wherever people have been created in the image of God, God has been at work there. Um, Wherever people live in and amidst God's creation, God has been at work there. Wherever Jesus has broken down the barrier of true worship being confined to only one place, God's already been at work there. So there is not a millimeter in this earth where God isn't already at work. There's not a place like that. It doesn't exist. Let that be, for us, a motivation and a compulsion with freedom and boldness to step into the work which God is already doing. See, this doesn't, this doesn't demotivate our action. This actually propels us even more to enter into otherwise impossible things. The people who grasp this the most deeply are those who run the hardest and the fastest into the darkest places in the world. Because we wouldn't have a chance on our own if we were trying to take on huge things like racial brokenness and human trafficking and, and sanctity of human life and hunger and homelessness if we were doing that by ourselves, let alone the eternity of the souls of men and women. So ultimately, we will always be, like Jesus tells his disciples here, those who reap that which, for we, did, which we did not labor. We will be those who reap that for which we did not labor. So may we labor all the more fiercely and boldly and joyfully knowing that really it's God who's doing the heavy lifting there. Across all lines, the greatest and only lasting satisfaction is found in Jesus and in doing the work of God. So may we not seek satisfaction in the cheap substitutes just to become thirsty again. May we be truly satisfied in the living water of Jesus and then satisfied in Him. May we see the significance of this very place run into the hard places, run into the darkness, knowing that God is already at work in those very places and among those very people. And through us, 
May God do his great work of drawing people to find their satisfaction only in Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we need the living water that only you can offer because we've seen the shipwreck we make of our lives when we pursue satisfaction anywhere else. It doesn't satisfy. Not only that, we keep pursuing it more and more and we, and we dig a deeper hole for ourselves that we can't get out of on our own. So pour out your grace and mercy upon us. Remind us of the joy that is ours for when you've done that in our hearts, God. That you have rescued us from that depth. And you have given us the only kind of genuine and lasting satisfaction in Jesus. May we drink deeply of it. And, and drinking deeply of it ourselves, may that, may that stir in us a longing for other people to taste the same thing. May they not feel destined in the inevitable trajectory that they're stuck in what they're stuck in right now. And would you open their eyes as you've opened ours? Would you invite them to drink deeply through us of Jesus as the living water? And we pray this in your name. Amen.